avisesa virata niroda the cessation. This is a, this is the um, investigation of the third noble truth. Or the complete cessation. <coughs> and cessation this doesn't mean you don't you don't grasp the idea of cessation as a kind of annihilation or a, a total end to everything forever. Not that. <laughs> because our minds tend to do that, don't we? We think of the mind will will stick to a definition and think that that means kind of absolute cessation. But the particular Sambhupada is just pointing to the to the way it's a it's an investigative reflection that we use to see how things arise and cease out of ignorance, <coughs> out of avicca, and then, then the uh, <coughs> then this this is a way of, of studying that of investigating that whole process of avicca, the ignorance conditions this whole mass of suffering. So. Putting it in that, that ignorance conditions the whole mouth of suffering. Let us all aspire to the complete ending of this whole mouth of suffering. Viraka is uh, is used a lot in uh, Pali as the, as the um, end of desire, non-desire. Raga, raka is. Uh, Lust or desire. Viraka is the negation, no desire, desirelessness. And niroda, viraka niroda. Niroda, cessation. Now when, now when you, when there's right understanding, when you when you realize cessation, then there's there's right understanding. So then, then what arises ceases. It's not a whole mass of suffering. What whatever it, it's not a, a cycle of, of misery. It's not the what a samsara anymore. It's not the the endless cycles of habit perpetuating themselves with this ignorance. So that that things still arise and cease. But that's their nature. That's dhamma. That's not. That's not what a sansara. What a sansara is, is the result of ignorance. So it goes. In, it goes in this. In this. What they call the eternal cycles. Of just reinforcing habit, habitual behavior, fears, reinforcing desires, out of this ignorance, out of this sense of being some person, what you should be or shouldn't be, or the views, the opinions that you've never questioned, that you just operate from fixed positions or assu- assumptions <coughs> that you've never even noticed. And so you, you wonder why the world, why does it have to be like this? Why why do I have to be like this? Why do they have to be like that? It's not fair. Because your assumptions, you're not even aware of what you're doing or the assumptions you're making and the positions you're grasping. 
so that, that this investigation of Dhamma is is the way to see that, to understand what the human condition is about, why what why we suffer, why the world is the way it is, why there's war, why there's endless fighting and competitions and jealousies and <coughs> and anger. The history of humanity is written in blood. It's bloody. When the white men went to America, North America, what they they were going there to civilize the white man's burden, wasn't it? The barbarians, savages over there, the American Indians, going to bring Christianity over there. Of course, that was the noble reason. Uh, the less noble reason was because they they wanted the wealth, or they wanted to get all they could out of the place. But you don't. Nobody wants to operate from an ignoble reason. Do you want to? You want euphemisms for your life. There's a, a vicha, so that you you can justify uh, uh, immoral behavior or brutality or war or anything. It it can be justified through uh, attaching it to very high-minded endeavors, such as saving those poor wretched savages over there in North America. They don't know Jesus Christ and they and they're uh, just you know they walk around almost naked and they, they don't uh, <laughs> they have bows and arrows they don't have even guns just, uh, they look down on them the savages so that, that that is a and yet many people probably like my ancestors were missionaries to Northwest Territories in the 1840s. They, they were Presbyterian missionaries from old Scottish stock, went out in covered wagons through the, across the great American continent and settled in the, what is now called uh, Eastern Washington State in the Yakima Valley. In order to, uh, and of course they, they took all the land they could get, and then they tried to save these wretched savages. <laughs> but it was, it wasn't that they were bad people. They were very good. I'm sure that uh, that they had, that they believed in what they were doing, and that it was for. God, it was, it was all for the Lord, and and uh, it was it was held up in belief in these very high-minded ideals. Because nobody's really totally, very few people I've met have been just totally malicious and completely and utterly selfish, and do things only for the meanest, nastiest, ingredient motives. Isn't it usually most of us are. You know, come from we get confused because we we have very high-minded ideals and noble thoughts and generous inclinations, and then and then we find ourselves involved in meanness of heart and nastiness and and selfishness. So sometimes we when we want something 
really bad enough, then we're willing to stoop, forget our altruistic ideals, and um, justify, oh well, you know, you can't quite city hall join it. Or, uh, nobody's perfect, and, and uh, oh, it's just the way the world is, you can't, can't uh, sometimes you just have to do things you don't like. And so there's ways of just brushing aside and going along, or just ignoring it. Just uh, we have a we have very uh, kind of strong defense mechanisms to just blot out unpleasant memories or feelings. We can just kind of make the mind condition the mind to just suppress that which we don't want to know about or listen to. I went to the prison in Dorset one time, visit a prisoner there in the burn, and, and they took me to the um, governor of the prison to meet him. And so I, he, was, he was talking to me about, he said, in the prison system, he said, in Britain, he said, there's very, very few really evil prisoners, you know, like really uh, malicious and totally evil-minded prisoners. He said, they're very rare. There are a few. He said, most of these men are just men who make mistakes, get confused, just carried away with their greed or anger or something, and then they end up in prison. He said, they're not evil or bad as kind of in, in any kind of um, absolute way. He said, there are a few, though, in the prison that are just, you know, totally evil. They're all their intention and, and, internet and, and inclination and tendencies are towards destruction or malevolence, brutality, maliciousness. And we can see it in our own self, can't we? can see we're all, uh, we have both energies in us, don't we? We have the, the divine and the angelic and pure of heart and the but also, we can be surprised at some of the very evil uh, th things we can feel in our minds. I remember as a, as a boy, teenager, being very frightened by some very evil thoughts. Because um, I didn't know how to relate to it. I, I, I'd always, my intention was to always be good and then to find myself with these horrendous thoughts. I thought it was very terrifying, actually, to, to have that in your mind. And you didn't, you didn't know how to cope with it, uh, because one was always assuming that it was something that one's, oneself, that these thoughts were, well, were, were, you know, we were brought up always to identify with these things. So if such thoughts could be in my mind, then I must be an evil person. That's how the logic goes, isn't it? If I could have such thoughts going through my mind, then, then I must be evil. <coughs> well, that brings fear into the mind. I'm frightened by it. Now, why can't I just have good thoughts? Why can't I just 
had pure, good, kind thoughts, glorious thoughts. Why, why can't I just, I, you know, I'd like to be good. Why can't I just be good? Why does this have to happen? And uh, because the, one can see how how people can get obsessed with evil, the amount of fear, just by even wanting to be good, but then becoming completely obsessed with their fear of the maybe the bad thoughts that go through their mind. So they don't understand their mind, do they? And this whole what I'm trying to demonstrate is that very few human beings really understand how their minds work so that they they just don't they just get terribly confused by what happens to them in life <coughs> and uh, and of course there's somebody you can blame mother and father the society blame yourself blame God or just to try to you know, and this is where so many like people that have uh, that are committed to institutions and uh, they're really really uh, affirming the fact that there's something wrong with them and it's kind of on a permanent because there's that fear isn't there that you're kind of permanently damaged or that if you have bad thoughts or or unwholesome tendencies or abnormal tendencies or something that that is what you really are. There's something kind of permanently, you're so permanently wrong or strange or not right about you. So that this is this is the assumption, and, uh, and this assumption is a bicha bhajaya sankara, isn't it? Is the sankaras are the are the anusya or the the uh, latent tendencies that come out of that ignorance from all these assumptions of a self that we tend to distort and interpret through consciousness, nama-rupa, salayatana, pasavedana, dhanha, upadana, pawa, jati, and then you know the rest. It all goes to jara-mara-nang-soka-pari-seva-tukka-toma-nasa-upaya. Then the Penetration of this through wisdom then is avisesa viraka niroda is the through the through right understanding then then there's assumptions those tendencies all that you see for what it is doesn't mean they just permanently end and totally never you never ever see or hear them or feel them ever again that suddenly enlightenment you just completely transformed into a saint with only the, a radiant halo and never a bad thought in your mind ever. Because that's, that's, that's still avicca bhajaya sankara, isn't it? The idea that you become something or other. Some, it would be nice to become like that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if suddenly I, just, I could wear a halo all the time and and only ooze out loving-kindness every second of the of the minute every minute of the hour that's, that's an idea, wouldn't that be nice? 
But this is how it is, as Dhamma, say, the way things are, it's like this, that, that what arises ceases. So when we talk about neuroda, then reflecting on that, the cessation, the ending, doesn't mean, then don't assume that you have completely ended suffering, that you're never going to suffer anymore, or that, that all your bad habits are just going to drop away. And, and you're going to just be totally transformed, uh, pure-hearted, totally uh, radiant being forever. Because that, that moment the, the, of cessation, you realize <coughs> that, which has that which has arisen has ceased. That's all it is. It isn't, they aren't assuming that the cessation is forevermore. But that which has you you've noticed, you haven't tried to to uh, distract yourself and run away, but uh, so you're not get, getting reborn again. You're not seeking rebirth and something else. But you actually have let something that has arisen in your mind, and you've actually watched it cease. You've noticed that uh, what's arisen, and you realize its cessation. It's as simple as that. So then you then you have then with the uh, with desire with, then with the, the, the development of the path the right understanding samaditi samasangapo and so forth we we cultivate that's the pawayda path we should cultivate this path meaning that during our remainder of our life in this form with all our latent tendencies and habits accumulations of karma, vibhaka, karma, and all that, what we do with it is know it for what it is. Just wishing we didn't have any is suffering, isn't it? To wish that we didn't have any vipaka karma at all. That we get enlightened, vipaka karma never, never arises, all we do is, is live in a world of radiant light and happiness and bliss forever after. But we, we, we recognize that this, this is the human experience. We're, we're learning from this human plane. And it's like this. Being human, you have feelings and you have you have you, you you have emotions, emotional reactions, and things like this. But you, when you when you realize cessation, you're realizing that those cease. You're not you don't have you don't feel you have to suppress them anymore or or indulge in them. But you're still feeling. Doesn't mean you become totally uh, indifferent to what happens. But you're you know how to use what happens for that realization. How to use the uh, ups and downs, the pleasures and pains and good fortune and bad fortune of our human experience and see it as Dhamma. Now there's Kusala Dhamma, Akusala Dhamma, Apiyakata Dhamma, 
ทิกายเวทนาสัมปยุทธธรรมทิกายเวทนาสัมปยุทธธรรมอทุกขมทิกายเวทนาสัมปยุทธธรรมวิปากธรรม and all that the, these are just the way things are isn't it that's a that's a reflection on dhamma it's the way it is there's skillful unskillful neither skillful nor unskillful dhammas there's the sankata dhamma and the asankata dhamma The sankata dhamma is the conditions, the mortal conditions that arise. See, the sankata is the unconditioned, and so then the mind is reflexive mind, seeing dhamma, Buddha knowing dhamma, seeing, uh, seeing uh, and 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 realizing dhamma the way things are, rather than this sansarvata, where We get caught in the habits, the fears, the desires, and we just reinforce that whole cycle, and it seems to go on and on and on and on and on. And if we develop bad habits, unskillful habits, and then they just, and we just, and without any awareness or understanding of mind, we just reinforce all those bad habits. Oh, it's a, a reflect seeing Dhamma, the Buddha seeing the Dhamma, knowing the Dhamma. They awake, the, they awake, the wake, the the knowing. <coughs> sees the Dhamma. The ignorant person doesn't see Dhamma anymore. It interprets everything from, why does this have to happen to me? Why did he have to do that? Why does the world have to be like this? It's not fair. Uh, and, and all the the, ten, the grumbling, whinging, whining, blaming, and and then all the enthusiastic uh, tendencies to want to just <coughs> get lost in a in a in a realm of isn't everything wonderful? The two tendencies, two extremes: gamma sukkalikani yoko, atikila matani yoko. Now, sometimes life is wonderful; it's beautiful. Sometimes it's absolutely horrible. It's just the way it is, isn't it? That things, conditions are changing. We get confused when we when we think, like we we get very confused because idealistically maybe we'd like to love somebody all the time. We assume that say if you love somebody that you love them all the time, meaning that by that assumption, if you don't know what you're doing, then you then you're sometimes quite distressed when you hate them, <coughs> and you suppress it. You suppress your feelings. Because you know, I shouldn't hate; I should only love this person, like mothers with their children. That sometimes this idea of being a good mother should only love her children; she should never hate them. But sometimes children can be downright hateful. 
can't they? <clears throat> they can be really horrible. So then, uh, then when you feel angry or averse to them, you might even have thoughts of wanting to wring their necks. I've had thoughts like that. I haven't had any children, but, but they. I'm sure my mother had. Uh, she would never, could never admit it. I'm sure. I used to feel like wringing her neck. But <laughs> 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 that. If, if somebody is, uh, when life does get, when people are being insensitive or uncooperative or rude or malicious or whatever, then, then it's a naturally going to feel the reaction from the personal plane is, how dare you? I can't stand this. It's not fair. How can you do this to me? That kind of reaction is on the personal level. Then there's Dhamma, you just see that. You just see the, watch that in your heart. You go to the feeling of, uh, in, in here, where you feel uh, uh, angry or feel distressed or confused about the things that are happening to you. Then you're seeing that what arises ceases. And so there's Viraka, Niroda. There's no more the reinforcement of the Anusya through ignorance. So the whole thing ceases. There's a cessation there. At the end of that particular condition and habitual reaction at that moment ceases and you realize the cessation. Then the cessation, and when, when, uh, when it ceases, you then you realize uh, that, that the Dhamma of uh, where there is nothing arising, nothing ceasing. There's nobody being, nobody arising up and nobody ceasing. There's just the, the way of things. The, the Sankhata Dhamma, the Asankhata Dhamma, condition and the unconditioned as they relate to each other doesn't mean that the Sankhata Dhamma ceases forever suddenly the, the planet disappears everybody just dissolves into thin air uh, and, uh, and the planet Earth and the sun and moon everything suddenly just disappear into nothing Because if that was enlightenment, then we wouldn't be here. Because the Buddha already was enlightened 2,532 years ago, it would have all dissolved. <laughs> but the uh, the uh, the condition disappears that you're that you've attached to or you've identified with. That which you, out of ignorance, that which you uh, grasp and created habits with, 
is then you're, you're realizing it for what it is, and it, and it ceases, and it's not self. And what's left is peace, rather than annihilation or 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 uh, vacuous nothingness. It's the peacefulness of the mind, the purity of the mind. <clears throat> That's why in Buddhist field, like in last evening, with chanting the Kusala Dhamma for uh, Tamala's father. In Buddha, in Thailand, they they, uh, they always chant the mat, called the Matiga. That's the, <coughs> the Matiga chant, and that's a beautiful reflection of the of the ending of a life of a person. Of a, of a human being, rather than seeing it as uh, something uh, bad or death is something frightening, or death is something uh, you know in, in a negative, uh, horrible way, it's seen as and and in the ending and in the cessation, there's peace. So it's a reflection for those of us who are still living. Not many people get it, because when somebody somebody you love dies, then you tend to get caught in the avicca bhajaya sankara reaction. It's amazing how people suffer when somebody dies, because they they uh, it, it what it, because death is not something the cessation the ending of that which was born or condition is never really studied by most people, is it? It's never investigated. It's more the life is wonderful, we've got to live as long as we can and be happy. And they say, what about old age, sickness and death? Sorrow, grief, despair and anguish. Oh, don't talk about that. Talk about love, talk about life, talk about beauty, talk about truth, pleasure, excitement, romance, adventure. Interesting things. I want to just live a life just full of interesting, have interesting friends and do exciting things. Live, live, live. I want to live. But the arising side, avicca, bhajaya, sankara, and that, rises up to jati, rebirth. So you do that. You, you dedicate yourself to, to, be, to having an interesting life Lots of money, fascinating friends, marvelous profession, the best that life has to offer, and you're born into that realm. Danha Ubadana Pawa Jati, you become, you aim at that, and then you're born into that realm of being a successful person with everything. Then then jati vajaya jaramaranang sokaparite. So being born into that realm, what does it, con- it, it condition? Old age, sickness, death, grief, sorrow, despair, and anger. That's all that's left, isn't it? Because once you you got it all, what happens? And that you've been actually successful and have been reborn in that realm, 
then what the other side if you haven't you haven't looked at so if you have never looked at that then you think you know what's wrong you know I I have everything now I have everything but I'm getting old I get sick and I see my friends dying and my loved ones dying and I see and there's grief, and there's sorrow, despair, and anguish, even with, with everything. One of this, I've been completely successful. Because Dati, Vajraya, Dharamaranam, Soka Pariteva, Tukatomanasa, Upayasa. Well, not to mention any other lesser, I mean, if you're not even just mildly successful or or you're not successful at all, it doesn't really make much difference. The same thing. <laughs> the process still goes that way when the, you know, like, like uh, Pamela's father was a tramp. She's the daughter of a tramp. <laughs> And an alcoholic. I think he died of probably drinking himself to death. We had an amazing experience, uh, one of these coincidences several years ago. We were going to Canterbury in the van, minibus, and they're having this meeting. They're starting that walk from Canterbury to Battersea, and and we were going to kind of send them off. Some of the monks and nuns were going on the walk. And so we were driving through London to get on the road to Canterbury and we got lost. And Pamela was, was a, a, a nun then and she was, she was in the, in the van. And, uh, we got lost in, in the, we didn't find the right road and we ended up around Lewisham or someplace like that. And, and it was Pamela's birthday. And she said, uh, this is where I grew up. It was around here. This is where this is where I where my father lived. And, and, and so we were driving just through this park, and suddenly she says, "There's my father." <laughs> <laughs> so we stop the van and see what. Oh, runs, gets out of the van and and, and brings her father over and introduces us. To him. He's an old tramp, an uh, um, alcoholic. Uh, a man that just lives out under the bridges or whatever, and he's, he's actually quite a charming man, and I think he's quite intelligent man. He has, seems to have a philosophical streak, and he also uh, had uh, seemed to appreciate what Pamela was doing in those days. <laughs> With uh, with Asesa Viraka Niroda, Sankara Niroda, Sankara Niroda, Vinyana Niroda. That doesn't mean Vinyana. You know, you have no, you're not conscious ever, forever after. You just be un- unconscious. <laughs> but it, it's it's the it's not the consciousness that arises, that it's not the distortion of consciousness that comes from Mabicha. Consciousness is, 
is something that arises and ceases naturally. Consciousness is not a permanent condition, or consciousness is not the unconditioned. So consciousness is uh, uh, ceases naturally. Anyway, it's just it's, it's what arises ceases. The the law of uh, the Dhamma. And so when we let when we realize that, then we're no longer coming from these assumptions of I am somebody, something, on, on a kind of absolute permanent basis. Even Then you begin to just be able to shed all your hang-ups and, and attitudes and habits. Because you so realize, you can just let it go. It's not you. and it, You've been deluded thinking it's you and you've suffered from all that has been a burden, makes life into a burden, a lot of soka paritewa, a lot of tukatomanat, all of that, isn't it? When, when you have a self and you're somebody and, and, and you're, and, and this, this forever changing, uh, realm is not understood, it becomes just a, a burdensome experience. Heavy. Why people? Be, that's why people become alcoholic tramps. Just so meaningless our lives. You get caught in a middle class uh, habit, isn't it? Buying a house and having a job and that whole very plain. Sometimes it would be more more interesting to be a tramp, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'd rather be a tramp. <laughs> I became a mugger. But the say Gnostic approaches you know, like Gnostic religion is is a, is a is the is that means the way of knowing things as they are. So it's always this in, investigative ability. And I think Buddha Buddha's teachings are brilliant at doing that, aren't they? They're really superb uh, tools for investigation of Dhamma. I mean, like, who who could ever come up with anything like Paticca Samupada on their own? And for uh, noble truth, all of that is that uh, is quite a a brilliant collection of tools to to use for reflection. But you're applying it to your actual experience. It's not religious doctrine that you memorize and recite as a as a kind of, of out of faith and belief in it. But it's actually, that's why it's not metaphysical, isn't it? It's not, it's not metaphysical teaching because <coughs> that where most re- religious doctrine tends to be metaphysical. <coughs> it's all about the, like Hinduism is a very, very metaphysical approach. So it's a metaphysical religion. And so it's, it's, uh, it's endlessly going on about the ultimate nature of things. 
this is the the uh, which is metaphysics is a fascinating thing. No misunderstanding. I'm lucky. I'm, I love it. Love metaphysics. <laughs> but if you don't have any any <clears throat> any investigation of Dhamma, <clears throat> then one tends to just be caught in in the theoretical metaphysical speculation of the mind is the problem. So many metaphysicians, uh, theologians, people like that, they they're caught in the in the, in the in theoretical ideas and doctrines. And they don't understand even how their mind works, or what, why they, why they get upset if somebody challenges it. Why does the, why do the people in the C of E in the Church of England feel so threatened by any questioning of Christian doctrine? Why do they get so angry at the Bishop of Durham when, when he was controversial? I mean, the people were writing to the Archbishop of Canterbury, ordering him to. To disrobe the bloke and excommunicate him, and even if they, if they could draw and quarter people, still they would have probably wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because Bishop of Durham had the got to question things, or, or be a little bit outrageous, not just follow along. But in that in that uh, in that realm of belief you see, and believing in the metaphysical doctrines, then they can't be challenged at all with the mind. And, and that's why conservative religion gets so, so reactive, reacts so badly to that, to heresy or to anything that threatens the uh, status quo. So that is a metaphysical um, speculation, isn't it? It's like, like if you, it's like you know, like the one about how many angels can stand on the head of a pin, and it's, it's all about things you can't can't really prove or know about. Something you can't uh, that you have to more or less believe in or accept from a, or from a from a positioning, you know, you, if you if you establish metaphysical doctrines first, then people that then people are asked to accept those doctrines, and then they interpret uh, their everything from from that angle alone. They they interpret it from that particular angle, and if they don't understand what metaphysics really is and what the doctrines are really pointing to, then they grasp the doctrine and then. Then the whole thing goes into a vicha bhajaya sankara. So the, in the Buddha's uh, approach was to the noble truths, four noble truths, the teacher samupada, the suffering and the end of suffering, the arising and the cessation of the conditioned realm. Then the realization of the metaphysical truth, metaphysical reality, is possible as a realization rather than an intellectual speculation. So with the ending of the cessation of, of, of consciousness is the cessation of, of Nama Rupa, that whole process 
is work is, is, is a really a moment, isn't it? It's thesis. Vinyana Namarupa Salayatana Pasa is just as is. It's just the way it is. It's not it's not then then there's no dhanha, Ubadana Pawa, Chati, Dharamarana, Soka Paliteva, Tukatomanasa Upayasa. Now if they just examine like like in the effect of Sister Jitapala leaving and and the feeling you have about it. I don't interpret it from a personal view is one way of inter- of seeing it and feeling a lot of sorrow and grief and <coughs> confusion or whatever so that you feel uh, uh, the emotional nature can really go get, get you going so that it's, t- it's taken very much on a personal basis of wanting to understand and wanting to know exactly why and, and feeling uh, confused or feeling sad and being caught into that that's the that's the, how it feels personally, then to reflect on that feeling. Or is that really suffering, to feel that way? One is still can have sadness in the heart, but not suffer. Do you realize that? If there's mindfulness, you can, you can feel sad, you can have the feeling of sadness, but not be suffering from it. which means that, that you accept that feeling for what it is. You don't try to suppress it or you don't indulge in it. And, and so it's, it's, it's the way to allow the sadness to cease rather than to just develop a, uh, uh, a what a samsara habit out of it. Because we are sensitive being. So we go, we feel life and, and and human nature has we have emotions that we 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 love each other and we, we hate each other and we we uh, we get very uh, we get very fond of each other or very close or we become very uh, critical of each other. This is just this is being human. They have a mind that can can, can operate on this level a lot. And it becomes, it's, uh, and most of it's just a vicha bhajaya sankhara. That whole thing. We're just using our intelligence and our wonderful ability to think and remember uh, to use it for grasping and desire, desire and grasping. But when you see that, that all that takes you to janamarana soka pariteva tukatomanasa upayasa, you let go. And then there's still a feeling. I remember one time at Wakapol, there was a, uh, an old monk, Ajahn Chaloi, who was there, the second, my second master was Ajahn Chah. And uh, he was a kind of eccentric old bhikkhu from the Tamayuta Nikaya. And he, he'd known Ajahn Man, and, and he, but he was, he was a very good friend of Ajahn Chah. So Ajahn Chaloi was there, and he, uh, and, and he was quite fascinated by me, Westerner. And he was he was a non-stop dasanar giver. He said, once you got him going, I mean, you, you count on spending hours there without being able to get away. 
because he let love. He couldn't give a formal talk. He asked him to give a formal talk. He couldn't do it. But it, he just get him going. Uh, he, he'd go on and on. And my time, I was not all that fluent. So I'd just sit there pretending I was appreciating and not understanding hardly anything. <laughs> saying, this is my justifying this, this moment by saying, oh, good opportunity to practice patient endurance. And he was. I must admit, I liked him. He was a very kind and very, very nice man, monk. But anyway, after the there's this there's this split in Thai Buddhism, as they're called the Mahanikai Tamayu sect. And uh, Ajahn Chah has always uh, he was he was ordained in the Mahanikai sect, but he actually uh, uh, he he more or less the discipline of his monastery. He he copied from the Tamayuta. Uh, school of Ajahn Man. So that our monastery was kind of uh, uh, a bridge between the two. We were Mahanikai, and but we had the same kind of discipline and all that as the Tamayu Forest Monastery. And Ajahn Chah's monastery was was he was becoming well known then. He, in those days, he was only really known in Uborn province, but he gradually is becoming more known in, in other parts of Thailand, in Bangkok. <coughs> well then, Ajahn Chaloi, after the Vasa, he, he decided to go into Bangkok, and he went to Wat Bawaniwe, the kind of head Tomyut monastery, and told him about how wonderful Ajahn Chaloi's monastery is, and and he went to all the forest monks, Ajahn Pan and, and all of them that he, who he knew, and uh, was telling them, you know, about Ajahn Chah and, and the, this wonderful Mahanikai forest monastery in Ubor. And so, then, there, then they arranged to have a, one of these almsgiving ceremonies. And they were expecting, they were expecting all the kind of top Tomayut hierarchy to come to this almsgiving ceremony at Wapoko. So we set up, I remember the day, we, we, we worked very hard cleaning the monastery, tidying everything up, and, and uh, setting everything out very nicely, and, and, and then waited, and then waited, <laughs> waited. <laughs> Nobody came. <laughs> So, you know, and so then that, that evening I went over to Ajahn Chah's Kuti and I could see he was, you know, he was, it was, and he was, he was quite sad. Ajahn Chah is, is not one to, to, he's a pretty bright character, but I mean, it was, it was a sadness there. And that, like, he's really an enlightened being, how could he feel sad? You know, he's giving into an emotion. He shouldn't care whether they come or not, it doesn't matter, no, they're kind of callous, silly dope that I was in those days. But <laughs> then you realize <laughs> what it is, uh, you know, that when you, when you have more experience and practice, it, it doesn't, one, one does feel sadness and and, uh, but it's, it's not, it's, this is just a natural emotional state when sad things happen. 
when confusing situations arise, when when unpleasantness arises. I mean, you're still feeling it. But you're not interpreting it from the avicca bhajaya sankara. So like, like with, say, with the sadness that Sister Dittipala leaving, it, it's, don't, don't make it into a kind of personal, I mean, just kind of wallow on a personal level of how could she do it or why did she do it or endlessly think about it. But, but try to really look at the feeling of, of, of that which you love, the separation and, and that, that feeling that comes from, from remembering that. And, and is that suffering? Is that feeling suffering? I can't find, I can't see it as suffering anymore. It only becomes suffering when I wallow in it or suppress it. If I think, oh, I shouldn't, doesn't matter. Good riddance if she didn't have enough sense to realize the truth of this way. Well, glad to get rid of her. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or how could she do it after all we've done for her and trusted her so much? <laughs> Those are the two extremes uh, of, of wallowing, indulging, or in just can't be bothered with people like that. <laughs> the suppression or dismissal, but use a, use it. It's an opportunity to really awaken to Dhamma. On, on that level, because that's very, very, that seems a very personal level too, isn't it? Very fraught level, on the heart level of feeling. Loving and hating and being confused and, and hurt or, or whatever by life is, is an opportunity, like, well, the Dhamma doesn't, doesn't make you callous and, and uh, suppressive, but it, it opens you to that for what it is. So then, then, then you, you, you've learned from that. You're, you've gained strength from these situations, rather than just become more kind of skeptical or lost or just suppressed or rejecting your feelings or or blaming somebody or dismissing somebody. Though here, like in the community, we, if we're willing to use the situations that we have for Dhamma, whatever they might be, the, the, the good times, bad times, and the ups and downs, the comings and goings, then all of us really have, we're actually working with life here, isn't it? We're actually learning Dhamma from daily life experiences. We're not setting special situations up. We're not trying to arrange, kind of, see, see if you can take this, or if you're ready for that, or... <laughs> That's not what you do. But just let life happen, the way it happens, the way it moves and flows, without us creating any problems around it. Life will have its own lessons for us, as, they, as, it, as we just open to it. Whatever, so, you know, and, and we just learn from those lessons. We don't, we don't have to go and seek out lessons because life will provide us with all the lessons we need to learn from if we just trust and, 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 and open to it and uh, reflect on it.